Good morning, my name is Daniel Samogi, and I have the honor and privilege of being here in Orange County and help being a campus intern here, so that's been great. But more importantly though, I'm just happy to be here, you guys, because it's been a while since I've seen all your lovely faces. Like Kenny says, can I see you guys smile once again? One more smile. Ah, oh, great, thank you so much. Oh man, it's been a busy summer for me. Before I get into the summer, I just wanna say that I really love our church. I'm so blessed to be part of this fellowship. I mean, I just wanna thank Julie once again for sharing her heart during communion. Thank you so much for, for just being open and vulnerable and transparent with us. I also wanna uh, welcome Jeff and Nana Hines over here. They're from the San Diego Church. Definitely get to know them. Definitely try to persuade them to move to Orange County here, besides me. But yes, anyways, it's been, like I said, it's been a busy summer for me, so I like, haven't really been able to see you guys. Just to kind of recap my summer so far. There it is, so this past, oh no, there it is. I'll get back to that later. All right, so earlier in June, or last June, I say late June, I was able to be a camp counselor. So that was a fun time there. Uh, it was definitely, you know, fun, but also stressful. It was fun knowing because, you know, I was a product of the teen ministry, so going to teen camps definitely did, like, you know, help me become the person I am today. You know, all the counselors pouring into me. One of my counselors actually was Naveen, and he's here at the Yo Pros for the North Single. So thank you, Naveen, for being my counselor. But it was also stressful because I mean, we've all been teens before, and those who are parents and have teens, you guys know how teens are. So it's a little stressful. But it was great. My campers are great. Uh, it was a fun time. We were definitely the, the cool cabin because a lot of our OC teen boys kept coming to our cabin to hang out. And I was like, this is cool, but at the same time, please get out. I'm trying to take a nap. So there was that. Um, you know, uh, earlier this month, we went to ICMC. Campus went to ICMC. Definitely a fun time. This is our LA campus ministry representing not just Orange County, but our sister churches around Los Angeles. And wow, that, this is honestly the first ICMC I feel like in a while. Like I know we had one last year in Orlando. I don't really count that because it was not only campus, but there was like the families there and the singles. You know, ICMC to me is when we take over a city, just the young disciples, you know what I mean? So we got to take over the city of Norman, Oklahoma. Why Norman, Oklahoma? I asked the same question. But it was definitely a fun time. Here's a picture of us OC uh, campus students going. No, we are not throwing up gang signs. We're just representing OC. It's just a simple OC. So, you know, next time you people go to marriage retreats or the singles retreat, whatever, just throw up the OC, represent where you're from. You know what I mean? So we had that. And then last week, I was in Las Vegas for a family reunion. It was definitely a great time. Here's a picture right in front of the, the Hilton, the Conrad Hotels, which is on the Strip. And that's our uh, family, it was it a shield or I forget what it's called, crest, family crest. It was on the Strip of the hotel, it was on the hotel. So people on the Strip were able to see our family crest for like five minutes. So it was definitely a fun time there. I have to say, like, I know like the lineage in the Bible can be confusing. Bro, family's lineage can be confusing as well. Like, I had a five-year-old cousin ranged into like an 85-year-old cousin as well. And to the 85-year-old cousin, I'm like, you're not my cousin. You're like the granduncle or something. Like, you're not my cousin. But yes, that was a recap of my summer. And it's you know, great to be back here. And let's get into the theme of this summer, Psalms of the Summer. Amen, church? All right, so, you know, there's 150 Psalms. I know you guys heard this, 150 Psalms. We won't be able to cover it. You know, it'll take 15 summers, pretty much, to cover all the Psalms. If you want to do it, I'll put in a word with Marcel, but for now, we're just going to be skipping through the Psalms. 
And I have to say that I really am lucky today. Well, first, I want to lift up uh, Eric Ennis last week, covering Psalm 18. Thank you so much, and he did a great job. I rewatched it on YouTube last week. Uh, crazy enough, like that is like, I guess the third or fourth longest psalm in the Bible, and I was supposed to cover that, but because I was gone, Eric stepped in and did it. So thank you, Eric, <laughs> for that. But you guys are lucky, and I'm lucky because today we'll be covering Psalms 23, and it's only six verses. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, but because it's only six verses, though, there's still a lot we can get out of those six verses. Amen? So let's, you know, let's put, put on our listening ears, all right? Your substitute teacher's here. Marcel's not here. Obviously, I'm here. So let's still give myself the undivided attention, please, all right? Let's give God that. All right, I'm going to go pray. <laughs> Father God, just thank you so much you get to be here, God, just to be part of this amazing fellowship, your church, God, your kingdom. God, I'm just so grateful for your son Jesus and the different people in the Bible, God, that we get to read about and, you know, imitate God. Uh, God, right now, I just pray that you just remove me, God, and just speak through me, God. God, I just pray that um, you can just stir in the hearts today of the people, God, that whatever uh, you have on their hearts, God, whether it's something to encourage, to inspire, to, to challenge, God, I pray all of this, God, that it would uh, eventually just uh, live closer to you, God. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the title of my lesson today is called, Talk is Sheep. <laughs> it's not called, you know, you know the saying, talk is cheap. You know, it's easier, you know, to say one thing and then do the other and then not really follow up with it. Well, it's called Talk is Sheep because, you know, in Psalm 23, it mostly talks about sheep, but other things as well. So I just try to play on words there. But it's crazy because in Psalm 23, although it's six verses, those are, those are powerful verses that we hold on to, but yet... You know, we believe, but do we actually, you know, follow and live out? You know what I mean? So we'll be discussing that this morning. So turn your Bibles to Psalm 23, please. If you don't have your Bible, just turn on your phone, do the Bible Gateway or the Bible app. If you don't have that, it'll be on the screen. So we'll just be staying there today in Psalm 23. Now I'll read all the way through. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's it, Psalm 23 right there. There are two pictures painted here, guys. One of a shepherd and a sheep, and the other of a banquet and a host. And both of them show a lot about ourselves and of God. You know, we can see how God, the shepherd, devotes himself to, to us, even to a point where he'll put his own life at risk for the sheep. We also learn that we can be a lot like sheep. We're often stubborn, quick to wander, and just constantly consume. You know, some people even use the Old Testament, go back to these Old Testament texts, to prove that sheep are dumb animals and compare them to us as a mistake because that is rarely what David is trying to convey here. That's rarely what the text is trying to convey. It's not that sheep are dumb, but I think it's just sheep are so dependent, but they fail so often to realize how dependent they are. You know, some believe that David wrote this psalm, you know, at a, as a young man herding sheep, but that, you know, most commentaries now agree that it had to be written when David was much older. 
looking back at his life. Because there's just so much wisdom and so much insight from these six verses that there's no way a young man would write. Trust me, I wouldn't write that. You know, it's going to be great seeing, you know, the benefit of what David learned about himself and about God looking back at his word. So today I'm just going to break down, you know, verse by verse, you know, what we can get out of it, what David most likely got out of it. We'll start off in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. So right out of the gate, you know, David has already learned some things as a shepherd, some things that would help him understand the nature of God. And just as David worked hard every day to protect and provide for the sheep, he knew that God has done the very same for him. You know, David knew that God provided. He knew that God protected him during troubling times. I mean, we knew that, you know, God protected him when he faced Goliath. He could see that God protected him when his boss, King Saul, was going to try to kill him. And some of us, I feel like, you know, oh, I can relate to David. You know, in your work, you may feel like you made big sacrifices. You even feel like you have faced giant-sized obstacles. Or you may feel that the people who have been supporting you all this time are actually the ones opposing you. And if that is true, then this is a great psalm for you. Then David, David said something that's very powerful. Those last three words of this verse, I lack nothing. Some of your versions may say, but like, I shall not want. And this can be something hard for us to, to grasp because the idea of not wanting or lacking anything, especially in this society, is most like inconceivable to us because we always want things. But we make the mistake of believing the things we want in this life can actually satisfy the deep thirst of our souls. And I remember a time when I was like eight or nine and uh, my mom picked me up from school. This is like... I think this is when I first learned about like the value of a dollar bill, and I was like, oh my God. I remember my mom picked me up, and I was like, Mom, why aren't we rich? And then my mom gives me like a full house Danny Tanner answer, like, oh, like, we are rich. We're rich in love. <laughs> I was like, dang, she got me there. But in my head, I was just like, but I want both. I want to be rich financially and rich in love. And the reality is, we all want things. And sometimes we want a lot of things, and that's not necessarily bad. But if we are constantly wanting things, this is the way sheep are constantly consuming, then we allow our wants to take control of us. And that's when we begin to feel the most empty. So how do you deal with that? How do you address that in your life? Let me paint it with a picture for you, actually. I want you guys to think of a Sahara animal. All right, you know, the ones you pay money for to go on the safari, you know, like, you know, lions, zebras, elephants, giraffes, all those things. And what's crazy is from the smallest animal to the largest animal, from the most powerful to the least powerful, they all must drink from the same stream in order to satisfy their, their deep thirst. And what do you realize here? They all must bow. This is an important picture for you and me. Because what's true for them is true for us. If you want to satisfy the deep thirst of our souls in your life, we must first bow to the one who is the shepherd of us. If we want to satisfy the deep thirst of our soul, then we must bow to the one who made us. Next verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, I'm not expecting you guys to be sheep experts. 
because I am now, after studying out Psalm 23, do you guys know what sheep do in green pastures? They eat. It's a buffet to them. It's, you know, yeah, it's a buffet. So they, what it means is when they're lying down in green pastures, I mean, there's different things. It means they can, they're full, because, you know, that's all they do is eat. Maybe they're sick. Maybe they're even dying. But I think David meant to communicate here that the sheep are full. This is where David begins to show us a picture of God as our provider, and not just the God who wants to provide, a God who can provide, or sorry, wants, I flip it, not a God that you know, can provide, but a God that wants to provide. The sheep are presented with such an excess here that they can't even finish it to their ability, and it's a big deal because that's all sheep do. They just eat, they just consume, that's all they want. And you're probably thinking right now, like, oh, like, I see where you're going here, Dan. Like, I know what you're about to do. But to be honest, church, that has not been true in my life at all. I feel like I have not, you know, received this outpouring of blessing that was so great that I was not able to consume it, not financially or otherwise. But let me point out what's true for many of us is these next three words. He leads me. He leads me. David wanted us to understand who was leading him, who had the final authority in his life, because this was not always true for David. David had made some pretty big mistakes in his life, and he learned the hard way that his life in his own hands was bad. It's better to put your life in God's hand. So if you're wondering, why aren't you experiencing this blessing that God has in your life, then it might be time to ask yourself this question. Who is leading you? Who is leading you? Is it you that's leading yourself? Or is it God that's leading you? Let me reframe it in a way that may be a little more practical. I'm a practical man. Are we allowing God to lead us in our work? Will your coworkers say that about you? Are you allowing God to lead us in our relationships? Would your spouse or significant other say that about you? Or your kids, or your friends, or your parents say that about you? Are we allowing God to lead us in our sexuality? Will your search history say that about you? Are we allowing God to lead us in our finances? Will your transaction history say that about you? It is awfully quiet right now. And just so you know that you're not alone here. Let me, let me share you a personal story on how God personally had to deal with me on a specific issue. It was an area in my life where I would just not let God take control. I would not surrender it to him. But everything seemed to change, and a lot has to do with tithing, actually. You know, uh, tithing to me, I never had a problem with the idea of, like, you know, 10%. I, I, you know, the, the heart behind tithing. I was like, okay, I can get behind it. But as a campus student who works a minimum wage job, pays for school, you know, paying for rent at a household, going on dates, money can be tight. And yet, somehow, my tithing began to look more like tipping. And not like the good waiter type of tipping, though like, I got bad service tipping. And I thought that if I could save money in that area of my life, you know, instead of you know, giving a little less to God, I would be able to be happy where I am financially in my life. When I did that, I was still feeling empty. Still feeling like, ah, I'm not receiving this blessing. I don't feel like God is near me. 
And it wasn't until I prayed and, you know, made a decision that, you know what, I'm going to actually tithe. Not only am I going to tithe, but I'm going to give a little bit extra so I can test the Lord. Well, Malachi, sees, Malachi 3 says it's true that when you test God, his blessing will be abundant. And I realized that when I decided to have God lead in my area of finance, my money went further in God's hand than my own hands. Now, blessing almost always follows obedience. Blessing must always follow obedience. And if we want the blessing that the shepherd has for us, then we have to take a closer look at who is leading us. Next verse. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. Here we see David use a word used over a thousand times in the Old Testament. He uses the word refresh. And in Hebrew, the word refresh, I believe, is shub. I don't know if I'm saying that correct. Eric, am I saying that correct? Okay, yeah, he said, yeah, no, maybe not. All right. And it means to return or to come back. And this brings something important into focus for us. The renewing and restoring of our soul begins with returning to God. You know, the world is tough, filled with temptation and sins, and at times we can fall into it. But our soul needs healing due to the damage done by sin. But if we want to be renewed, if we want to be restored, if we want to be healed, then we must continually return to the God who is our good shepherd. Next verse. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. To understand this verse, I think we must understand really the last four words of this verse here. For his namesake. It means to be consistent with his character, goodness, and kindness. God leads us on the right path. Other versions may say paths of righteousness. And, you know, that, that can be a little tricky at times because when I hear paths of righteousness, I don't know about you, but I get intimidated by it. I'm like, oh, man, like paths of righteousness, that's, a, that's big right there. I can feel, you know, constricted by it. And I think he does the same paths of righteousness so we can experience the freedom that comes with it. And I'm using the word freedom here on purpose because we can hear the words paths of righteousness, like I said, and be intimidated by them. If I can, can I keep it real with you guys, church? I'm going to keep it really real. Something that I'm learning, and it's crazy. There's this growing misperception that the Bible and Christianity have become regressive. Meaning that the world have, you know, become outdated and outplaced by the knowledge by this generation. My generation has been able to uncover. And to anyone who believes that this morning, I truly want to say in the kindest way possible, Church, you do not understand this book. Do not understand this Bible. This Bible contains wisdom that will exceed our ability to understand. There is no other book in history that has done more to liberate us than the Bible. In fact, I can prove it to you guys right now. By show of hands, who has made a regrettable choice in your life? Raise your hand if you made a regrettable choice. Nice. And those who aren't raising your hand, your regrettable choice is lying in church, but it's all good. It's okay. But seriously, look back at your life. Look back at the mistakes you made. All right, matter of fact, close your eyes. I want to take you guys there. Close your eyes, everyone. I want you guys to close your eyes, please. Go back to that moment where you made that regrettable choice. And I want to ask you, which one? <laughs> Just choose one. <laughs> I want to ask you this, church. Would things have turned out better or worse, yeah, let the Bible influence that decision. But things would have turned out better or worse, 
let the Bible influence your decision. You can open your eyes now. I'd say for me, 1,000%, no question about it, if I let the Bible influence my decision, oh my, my life would have been amazing. But yeah, I still made those regrettable choices. Now, calling the Bible regressive is just the world's way of expressing its frustration with something that refuses to condone its rebellion against our shepherd. Wandering off the path God laid before us brings us trouble, church. Now, if we allow the Bible to guide us along the right path, it will set us free. Amen? Next verse. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Would you guys agree that the state of our culture feels like a dark valley? Yeah? You know, this picture David gives right here comes from moments when he was leading sheep in places that were the most, where they were the most vulnerable. I mean, think about it. Picture a valley, and the sheep were at the bottom of it. Predators are able to look down upon the prey, the sheep. And it's much easier. Gravity alone will let the predators descend down, onto, you know, down the valley to attack their prey. Much easier than the sheep, or for the sheep to ascend up to safety. This is not a good position to be in at all. Yet there is no fear in David. It wasn't because the threats weren't real. It was simply because he knew who was with them. You know, just as sheep were in company, were at peace in company of their shepherd, so was David was at peace, knowing that he was in company of his shepherd. And while he understood that, you know, he might not be able to over- overcome these enemies and obstacles, he knew that God was with them, and that was enough for David to have peace. Is that enough for us to have peace, knowing that God is with us? Whether it's at work, Campus, I know you guys are probably gearing up for school. Summer's almost over. All that. That's your job. Next verse. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the rod and staff were the, you know, shepherds' only tools when they were herding sheep. You know, think of a rod as, you know, it's a small stick. You know, it's heavier on one end, like a club or a bat. But in a skilled shepherd's hand, it is a lethal weapon to fight off the prey who are trying to, or the predators who are going after their sheep. The staff was a little different, though. You know, it was longer with a hook on an end. It kind of looked like a cane here. Um, and it's crazy. You know, most often times they would use this to guide the sheep back into place. But if the sheep was particularly stubborn, as sheep tend to be, as we tend to be, the shepherd could take the end of the hook there, as you see, and pull the sheep's head up. You guys know why? It's okay, you're not sheep experts, I'll tell you guys. It's crazy, actually. So when sheep's heads are down, they are exceptionally strong because their shoulder muscles will contract, and those are the strongest muscles in a sheep's body. But when their head is lifted up and looking up, they're easier to be led. So the shepherds designed their staff so they can, or yeah, their staff, so they can lift their sheep's head up. This creates an interesting picture for you and I, Correct? When our heads are down and focus on the world around us, we struggle to follow God. But when our heads are lifted and our eyes are focused and forced to be fixed on our Lord, our shepherd, things start to change. You know, we realize that, wow, we can trust them pretty easier, actually. We're easier to be led. We find ourselves resisting God in any way or in any areas of our lives that it might be time to ask ourselves, what am I focused on? What am I focused on? 
Am I focused on the world and the world around me? Or am I going to be focused on the world maker? Because what we focus on has a way of affecting on how we are led. Next verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. In these final verses here, David begins to shift the allegory. This is where, instead of going, you know, shepherd and sheep, this is a banquet and of a host. And the main focus here in these last two verses is to set up the framework of peace and hope for David and for us. You know, the enemies David would have been talking about may have been, you know, other nations who were, you know, wanting to take over their city and claim it as their own. So David and the people of Israel, there was always this persisting fear of what's just, on, what's just outside on the other side. It can seem a little disconnecting for us, but let me once again make it practical for us. What is just on the other side of that next election? What is just on the other side of that next market crash? What is just on the other side of that next company merger? Next round of layoffs? Take it out of the workplace. What's just on the other side of that next fight with your spouse, or with your kids, or your parents. What's just on that other side of that next diagnosis? You know, church, we all face threats that are just on the other side. And David is reminding us here that despite the threats that face on the outside, there can be peace on this side, right here where we're standing. Because God has prepared that peace for us. But the only way for us to experience that peace is for us to sit down at the table with them. We must learn to have a relationship with them, learn to spend time with them, you know, listen to them, talk to him, listen to him. You know, R.C. Sproul once said, he's a theologist, the pursuit of God is not a part-time weekend exercise. If it is, chances are you will experience a part-time weekend freedom. The church, when we seek him first, when we seek God first, above everything else in our lives, we will discover that our cup truly does overflow. Last verse. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now here, this is where David just rips off his shirt, puts an exclamation point on the things, drops the mic. But to get a clear understanding of this final verse, it can help if we can flip it like this. I'll read it in a different way. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because his goodness and love follow us. Makes even more sense if we look at the verb to follow. I'm a little scared because in Hebrew, Eric, don't look at me, please. Uh, In Hebrew, the word to follow is radaf, and it means to pursue or to chase. So a very literal translation of this last verse can go something like this. Because the goodness of God has pursued me, And because the love of God has chased me down, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Did you know that the goodness of God has been running you down all the days of your life? And because God never quits, because God never gives up, I and all of you guys will get to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us not wander away from the Good Shepherd, since there is no place like home. And to close, you know, it was definitely a, during the difficult 
days and nights on the past years where David learned five things that would change him forever. He learned that God had pursued him, that God had protected him, God had provided for him, God has prepared him, God had promoted him. And for David, all those years, they probably just felt like herding sheep. They were often challenging, often lonely, at most times probably unappreciated. But for God, he was using those years to make a king. He was shaping something in David that would enable him and every generation after to see that God is truly our good shepherd. Think about it. How many times have we been comforted by these words David wrote in Psalm 23? Reflecting on his time in the pasture, C.S. Lewis once said, each person is created to see a different part of God's beauty, to see something that no one else can see quite in the same way, and then to bless worshipers throughout eternity with an aspect of God they could not otherwise see. Does your work feel like you're trudging around in the pasture? I don't know, for me it does, at Chipotle, but that's something different. Well, then from David's life, you can take heart. You are not there without a purpose. There is something for you to see, something for you to learn, something for you to share, but there's also something for you to remember. That's the close. I promise I'm closing right now. God is pursuing you. God is protecting you. God is providing for you. God is preparing you. And God is promoting you. Let us not wander away home from our Good Shepherd. Thank you, church.